World's Finest Podcast, Episode 3. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. Hello. How are you, James? Oh, not bad. Yeah? Uh, well, yeah, I guess we have to explain to our listeners why we're going fortnightly, yes. don't we? Yes, why don't, why, why don't you explain it? Well, uh, it's mainly me. I just recently uh, got a new job at a computer store, and so far it's great. Congratulations uh, on that. I know thank you, you, were, thank you, you thank were looking you. for quite a while, weren't you? Yes, I was yeah. for o- over a month, probably about six weeks. I, I I didn't have like a regular job. I was doing the subbing thing, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I really needed a full time job to because I <laughs> was barely making my car payment. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna due to that, we're really just gonna have to go to uh, fortnightly. Yeah. And I apologize for any inconvenience, but it's just a necessary evil right now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Maybe down the road, when your shift becomes more regular, we can go weekly again. But for the time being, the safest bet is to do this fortnightly, because as you said, your schedule, and also, you know, it's hard for me to edit two podcasts per week, you know, because I'd have to do this one and Earth2.net the show. it's, It's not easy doing both per week, so I actually like the fact that we're doing these every other week. Well, and, you know, I'm planning, this is my plan right now anyway, uh, in the fall to go to part-time with this computer uh, store job oh. and do the, do the subbing thing, like do half and half. That way I won't be so burned out all the time. Yeah, and uh, one of the reasons I'm glad we're doing this, besides the fact that, you know, it makes it easier on both of us, is also... It benefits our listeners, too, because this gives them plenty of time to then sit down and watch the episodes if they want to. You know, if we're coming out every week and they want to watch those five episodes before the recording so they remember, you know, so the shows are fresh in their memory, Mm -hmm. they can, you know, it's kind of hard to cram all those in one week. But if they have two weeks to do it, that's pretty easy. Yeah. And I I hope that's what our listeners are doing. I really hope they're sitting down and taking the time just to watch, you know, a couple episodes of Batman, the animated series, and then later on Superman and blah, 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 so they can follow along with us. first episode to review today is It's Never Too Late. In this episode, uh, an aging mob boss, Arnold Stromwell, is in danger of losing his empire to another uh, crime boss, Rupert Thorne, who appears many times during the Batman animated series. And Batman's task is to keep him safe from, or keep Stromwell safe, that is, from Thorne, since he's starting to weaken and... He has to basically make him see the error of his ways. That's about it. What do you think? I really dig this episode. Um, and the reason is is because Batman is, is kind of a background player in this. It's not about him. It's about Stromwell and Thorne. You know, Batman's there, he's doing his thing, he's saving the day, but it's yeah, more... He's moving it along. Right, exactly. He's only there because it's called Batman the Animated Series. 
But this is more about Stromwell and his empire crumbling and Thorn taking, trying to take control of it and Stromwell's failed marriage and his son who's in drug rehab. You know, all that, 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 that's the story. Batman's just there, as you said, to keep it moving, to remind us that, hey, this is Batman, it's a cartoon, to make sure it doesn't get too mature because this episode is so dark, I can't believe they got this on the air. They are I would t- say that just based on the drug rehab element. Exactly. There are drugs and drug rehab, and there's mobsters, you know, literally trying to blow each other up. Um, it's, it's, it, I, I seriously do not know how these guys got this on the air. I think my only guess is that, you know, before, you know they had 10 episodes uh, under their belt up to this point. Okay? I have to think that they. You know, at this point, Warner Brothers said, "Hey guys, whatever you want to do is cool by us, and and j- just roll with it because we trust you." Because I, th- I just, there's no way that I just can't believe they got this on TV, and that's a good thing. I think it's, I think it's a great yeah. episode. As I said, I'm not saying that as I'm like, "Oh my god," I'm not trying to be a prude, you know. So I hope I'm not coming off that way. Oh no, it's okay. definitely a positive vibe. Yeah, yeah. In fact, if Wiki is correct, this was the second episode to air. Am I reading this right? No, I can't be. Air date was September 10th, 92. Okay, the air date of On Leather Wings was September 6th. I thought a a different episode aired before On Leather Wings, though. Yeah, The Cat and the Claw, Part 1, aired before On Leather Wings. September 5th, and then Heart of Ice was September 7th. So this was like in in the initial batches of episodes that the producers decided to put on the air. This, you know, even though this is the eleventh episode produced, it was you know third, fourth, fifth that aired. So mm-hmm. to put this episode on so early was a big risk on their part because you could have got some parents group coming along saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, this shouldn't be on the air at all," and it could have got the whole thing killed yeah. right, right away. So f- again, for them to put it on the air was a risk, and then for them to do it so early was an even bigger risk. And I applaud Warner Brothers, Bruce, Tim, and everybody involved with this episode uh, uh, for, for standing, you know, for getting behind it and saying, no, we are going to put this on. We are going to run this as is. What you said. <laughs> now, if I can say one more thing before uh, we get into your thoughts. Because if we don't, I'm going to forget, if you don't mind. Oh, go ahead. Okay. I don't have a lot of notes written for this episode. It's just, it's, it's really fluid. The episode is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of character development, though. But I'll get into that. Okay. Now, what I wanted to say is, in our last episode of World's Finest Podcast, I told everybody to remember something that happened in the Underdwellers. Do you remember this? Yeah, I, I, had, so. I had said, you have to remember how the Underdwellers begins, and that's two kids playing chicken on a train, and one of them gets his foot caught in that cable, and he can't get off, and Batman has to save him, and there's this whole, like, don't play on trains type story going, or, you know, kind of not story, but a message going on, okay? Mm-hmm. That episode is written by a guy by the name of Tom Ruger, I think is how it would be pronounced, R-U-E-G-G-E-R, would that be Ruger? Right, I Okay. So. Now, if we go to It's Never Too Late... Which has that whole storyline with Stromwell's brother who lost his leg thanks to a train accident. That one is also written by Tom Ruger. So I don't know if this guy, as a child, maybe lost a friend, a brother, or as an adult, lost a son or, a, or someone to a train accident. And he was trying to get like a message across about how you just shouldn't mess around with trains. Or if it's just a theme that coincidentally popped up in his stories. But I, I, I noticed that, and I thought it had to be mentioned. I, I 
I don't know. I don't know. Just like I said, just something I wanted to bring up. Yeah. You know, I'm going to see if this guy, I think he wrote one more episode. He co-wrote Beware the Gay, ooh, Beware the Gay Ghost, I almost said. <laughs> that Please whole, that in. <laughs> that's not getting edited out, trust me. That adds a whole new element to that storyline. Beware oh the Gray Ghost, he wrote that with someone by the name of Dio, uh, Dio Flattery. Um, but I don't think there's any train stuff going on in that one. And then he also co-wrote Baby Doll, uh, which is episode 76. So, and I don't think either of those have trains in them. So, again, it could have been a coincidence, um, but I, I seriously think he was trying to get some sort of message across. Like he had lost someone to to uh, messing, around, you know, someone who was messing around with the trains. He lost, and he wanted yeah. like kids, no, no, you don't do that because you are going to die or get hurt. But like I said, that's just me. So, anyways. Me pointing that out aside, what were your thoughts on this one? Uh, well, before I get into my love of the character development of this episode, uh, did you notice when they first show Thorn in this episode, when the guy behind him, his, one of his little uh, goons says, hey, that's a nice picture of you, boss. Yeah, that sounds uh, a little familiar, doesn't it? That was what in the very last episode. Yeah, uh, it, it said to... Uh, wait, wait, hold on. No, it said it was to, to Two-Face. The guy's one of his no. Two Faces goons, wasn't it? No, I said no. It was said to Thorn in Two Face Part Two, and it said to Stromwell in It's right. Not Too Late. Add it backwards. Yeah, yeah. That was. I don't know if they were trying to create some sort of like little in joke. For, you know how like the Simpsons they do that all the time, where you have to yeah. read the signs, the VCR jokes. There, I think they're called. You know, where you have to mm-hmm. pause the episode to see. What's it was the cash on. register joke. The cash register joke. Oh, the, right. I'm sorry. Okay. In the beginning of The Simpsons. Right. I'm sorry. I forgot. Yeah, we have to pause it to see the gag. I don't know if they were trying to do that by creating, you know, some sort of loose continuity between the episodes there or, or what they were doing, but it was, or if it was a coincidence or not, but it was funny nonetheless that it came up twice, you know. Yeah, I just had to mention that. I thought it was kind of cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I loved the character progression of this episode. Stormwell, at first, you know, he's lost his son. He's. You know, he's pissed off, obviously, as you could well understand. Right, because he thinks his rival had something to do with it. Yeah. Hell, he thinks his son is probably dead. Yeah, for all he knows. Knowing the line of quote-unquote work that he's in, he obviously thinks his son's dead. Mm-hmm. And he has every right to be pissed off and, and just wanting revenge. Yeah. And as when and Batman intervenes, and then little by little you start, he starts to calm down and uh, I guess realize that he you know maybe he is a villain that he's what he's been doing is wrong and there's one moment where you know he turns he tr- he's about to shoot Batman where he goes back on everything that was going on but then Thorn intervenes and then he it starts over again the the character progression until he meets up with his brother the mm. priest yeah so it was really just very very well done yeah yeah, it, it definitely is. It's upon seeing this one again, upon watching it for this this podcast that we do here. Um, I never realized how much I like this one, but yeah, looking at it now, all these years later, I, I I just realized how good this episode is. I'm wondering if I, you know, as a youth, if I didn't hold this one in high regard because it didn't have a lot of Batman and it didn't have no, like it a, wasn't ton a lot of action. Of, right, exactly. It's more it's more about the characters and it's a really deep mature story. And I'm wondering if now that I'm, you know, nearly 30 years old, if if I can look at it and go, yeah, this is this is really good. I can look at it in a completely different light and see it from from, you know, like I said a mature angle and not the whole I want Batman to be punching people's angle. <laughs> it's very much like a Law and Order Criminal Intent episode. 
where you see more of the uh, criminal's line of thinking, which is very much what happens in this episode. Let's see. You know, I, I, had, a, I had a question about this. Earlier, like real early in the episode, they make the comment that Stromwell is being overthrown by his quote-unquote younger rival. Yeah. Uh... Um, okay, now it's clear that Stromwell is older than Thorne, yeah. But Thorne isn't a spring chicken. He's like no. a white-haired dude, at least in his 50s. You know, yeah, technically he's younger, but they're making it sound like he's being overthrown by, like, a 25-year-old upstart. <laughs> and it's like, no, that's not quite what's happening. You know, one of the things I appreciate about this episode was I think the writer was clearly trying to get some sort of a religious message across because you see Stromwell, who, I mean, his brother will go on to become a priest, you know, and that guy, his life is, you know, he's on the straight and narrow, you know, besides having lost a leg, everything's worked out well for him. And and uh, the other brother, he becomes a mobster and his son's in rehab and he's got a failed marriage and all this. And that's because he turned his back from the church. And, you know, then it ends with a, a shot of Batman kind of looking at the church. At the cathedral, yeah. Right, exactly. And normally that would kind of bother me, but it didn't bother me in this one because it was, it was I, I felt it wasn't heavy handed. Yeah, they weren't shoving it in our faces. Now, if you remember, in, in the last episode of World's Finest Podcast, I had mentioned that I wanted to say something about the way Batman fights. I said there was something he hadn't done yet. Besi- and this is where I'm going to bring it up. Besides punching Man-Bat in the face, remember in the first episode we spoke about how Man- how he's like on Man-Bat's back and he's just plowing into him? Mm-hmm. Okay. To date, besides that... I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Batman has thrown a punch. It's kicks, it's sidestepping people, it's maybe throwing stuff at them, but I don't think we've seen him throw a punch up to this point. Now, I well, know we see him throw not punches. as Batman. I mean, he does, obviously, in, the, in uh, the Forgotten, but that's when he's lost his memory. Right, I'm specifically speaking of Batman, because Bruce Wayne, you know, you can he's a little different... You know, maybe the censors. I, I don't know. I don't know if the censors were coming down on them saying you can't have Batman throw a lot of punches. But maybe mm-hmm. they said Batman can't throw punches because kids are going to want to emulate him. But Bruce Wayne can because who the hell wants to emulate Bruce Wayne? But really, I don't think we've seen Batman throw a punch on a human being yet. And I want to stress that because in Heart of Ice, he does try to punch uh, Mister Freeze, but Mister Freeze, he's in that suit which protects him. Yeah. So and he's he's he borderlines on monster. You kind of see what I'm saying there? He's got extra, you know, he's got heightened strength and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kind of see him as a monster or, or not quite human. But yeah. Well, um, he says himself that it triples his strength. So That's true. And, you know, speaking of fighting, another thing I appreciate about this episode is that Batman, he tries to use his brain, then his fists and his kicks and his sidestepping and his Batman skills. And that was something that I thought was really cool. I mean, yeah, he does have to fight some guys because after Stromwell pulls the gun off the wall... And then they both get ambushed in that building. He has to beat some guys up. But until then, he's really not trying to beat anybody up. He's just trying to make Stromwell see the error of his way. Yeah, most of any contact he makes with the guys is swinging on a rope and kicking them. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Overall, I think this is one of the better episodes of the series as a whole. Yes. But we'll get to our scores later. Next would be, I've got Batman in my basement, and basically, this is the first appearance of the Penguin, 
and uh, the Penguin is stealing a Fabergé egg, and Batman's, or the Penguin's men, pardon me, are stealing a Fabergé egg, and Batman tries to stop him, and in the process of doing that, Batman gets gassed with something, and some kids get involved, and they take Batman back to one of their houses, and Batman's down there, and the kids beat up the Penguin's men. It's This episode is Home Alone meets Batman. That's all I have to say about this crappy, crappy episode. This one's no, no. all you, James. <laughs> you can have this whole thing. I think I wrote like four notes on this one, so it, it's all you at this point. <laughs> well, look, I'm not saying it's a great episode or, or even a good episode. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even go so far to say that. I just think it's a, it's, it's a fun little episode with that doesn't try to take itself seriously. Mm. That's clear. And I can understand why people would hate it, believe me. Like, I understand that you despise this episode because uh, the script is awful. Mm. Uh, But, you know, I can enjoy it. I can take it for what it is, I guess, because, uh, you know, you get to see these, these kids, really, they're trying to do the right thing. And, you know... They get involved, and in what you know, what you expect to happen happens. The kids screw up the the thing, and Batman gets gassed, <laughs> and somehow they get the Batmobile to operate, and they drive they drive it back to their house. Mm-hmm. That I know I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> but and one thing, another thing I don't understand is how they can open the utility belt, but thugs with a blowtorch <laughs> can't. Yeah, yeah. It's like they forgot that they previously had a thug get all gassed and purple-faced. Yeah. And yeah, they're like, oh, sh- oh, well, they either forgot it or they just ignored it for the sake of the story. I will say, though, what I enjoy, though, is Penguin's dialogue. He's very poetic. Yeah. He's clearly intelligent. Mm-hmm. And he, he quotes Shakespeare and stuff like that. So I like that. Yeah. That's But that's the English student in me. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's really all I have to say. It's just... It's average. I'll, I, I, I'm going to give it an average grade. See so. what what see what I'm saying about this whole thing is that if these kids can take on the penguin and his goons, then how threatening does that make the penguin down the line? Yeah, you know, it's kind of like you know, I hate to bring wrestling into this, but it's like wrestling. If if you have some some jobber all of a sudden beat up a main event star. Well, how threatening is that main event star then? And that's what happened here. You had these jobber kids beating the hell out of one of Batman's strongest villains in the Penguin. And I just, I, I think maybe I would like this episode more if it wasn't the introduction of the Penguin. If maybe this was the second or third uh, episode to feature him, yeah, then I could buy yeah. it. But it's just like the Joker. Debuting the way they debuted the Joker, right? It it's it just isn't a good way to do it, and I think I might be bringing it down a few points based on that. Um, maybe later on, uh, I'll look at if this were, again and change the score. But as of right now, I can't give this one a good grade because no, of that. I can understand that. Believe me, because. <laughs> Like I said, I think the script is awful, except for Penguin's dialogue. Right. And That's about it. It really does bother me that this kid has a Joker poster on his wall, too, if he's such a fan for, you know, the, the great detective that is Batman. Yeah. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. One, why would there be a Joker poster? Two, why would this kid have it? I'm not even saying his mom bought it for him. I'm just saying, why would he even be allowed to have that thing? Because who is going to let a child have a poster of a serial killer in their room? Like, when I was 10 years old, I can guarantee you my mom wasn't going to let me have a poster of John Wayne Gacy hanging over my bed, 
okay? <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. And the Joker is much, 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 much worse than that. Um, so it kind of bothered me seeing that poster hanging around in the background. Yeah. So speaking of this episode and the, the lightheartedness of it, I wanted to read some feedback we got from our very first episode. Um, this is from the Comic Geek Speak forums. One of the uh, members by the name of Malpractice, he took issue with the fact that we both rated Christmas with the Joker uh, very uh, low. Poorly. Yeah. What did, do you remember what you gave that one? Was it like a two? I believe two it was five? a three. I believe I gave it a three. I want to say I, I could give be it, wrong. I want to say I give it around a three or a four as well, right? Okay, well, yeah, he took issue with that, and he says, well, I'm not saying it's the best episode of the series, but it's still an important episode. You have to keep in mind that, as you guys mentioned in the podcast, On Leather Wings was an extremely dark episode that took a lot of risks in both animation and story. Christmas with a Joker is something that a kid can get into, and you have to keep in mind that episodes like these help to pull the wool over the eyes of the network, the censors, and the parents who let their kids watch the show of what the show really was. You need episodes like these to balance out the darker stuff. You can have your darker crime drama episodes like It's Never Too Late and Appointment in Crime Alley, as well as episodes that might border on disturbing such as Feet of Clay and Nothing to Fear, as well as the more tragic like Heart of Ice and Two-Face, but every now and then you need to throw in and I've got Batman in my basement to throw people off and remind them it's a kid's show. I personally think that Christmas with a Joker is one of the best of these types of episodes. There is so much black humor going on under the surface, and if anything, this episode demonstrates just how insane the Joker really is. I was upset to see the boring, pointless, the last laugh get a higher score overall. So, you know, I see what malpractice is saying here, and I see, As what, do I. And, and I see what you're saying, but... We, we, don't, we can't grade them like that, or I won't, anyway. Right. We have to... Right, I'm not going to take them as what they are. Right, I'm not going to go. Oh, well, this was obviously, you know, you know, this was obviously supposed to lighten things up after it's never too late. I'm not going to do that. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm trying to grade them. Remember, we're we're grading these by production number. So, you know, production number uh, eleven was it's never too late. This really mature, dark, excellent story, and then they follow it up number twelve with I've got Batman in my basement, where they, in my mind, take a step down. You know, and I want to see them keep taking step steps up. And you can do a fun, lighthearted episode, and still make it really good. But I think this was a fun, lighthearted episode that took a step down. Is is yeah. what I'm trying to say. So I, I appreciate his comments, and I appreciate what you're saying there, James. But I still hold true that I think uh, uh, I've got Batman in my basement and uh, Christmas with the Joker just weren't good, fun, lighthearted episodes. They're, they, you know, they, they could have been a lot better. Our next episode is the two-parter, The Cat and the Claw. This is the first episode we see with Catwoman, and it encounter it goes through first off what we show they show her uh, cat burglar profession for lack of a better word uh, and as she's escaping she encounters Batman and they both seem to be attracted to each other mm-hmm. in, in a kind of strange way and Catwoman escapes somehow and as the uh, story goes on Bruce Wayne meets Selena Kyle the uh, the real identity of Catwoman. What a coincidence. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Small world. Yeah. And so, 
their their relationship starts to heat up a little bit, little by little. It's very very subtle, uh, and eventually Catwoman discovers evidence of a military facility uh, hidden in a mountain where she's trying to get uh, land for an, a wildlife preserve. So uh, the terrorist group that is fronting or is fronting the money for this pl- uh, this place is. Uh, headed by this uh, terrorist called Red Claw, who uh, is apparently the worst terrorist in the world, <laughs> as uh, uh, Gor- I believe Jim Gordon says. So that's about where it goes into ep- uh, through episode one, mm-hmm. and episode two covers uh, Batman trying to stop Red Claw mm-hmm. and bring Catwoman to justice, uh, much to his chagrin. Yeah, he, he, you know, you, you really feel for Batman at the end of this one because this was like. The one chance he had of not being Batman anymore is is meeting Selina Kyle, falling in love with her, and living a normal life. But because she's a cat burglar, because she's this criminal, he can't let her go. He has to bring her in. He can't let anybody slide. You're right. It's the mission, and you can never bend the rules. And because he has to arrest her, that's him closing the door on any chance Bruce Wayne had of, of becoming the dominant personality. So... What do you think as a whole? You know, the way it starts out with the flirty chase-slash-fight between Batman and Selina, it's <laughs> really fun, and you can feel the relationship building right there. Already. Yeah. I mean, when she finally gets away, when, um, what's the cat's name? Isis, right? When it yes. goes up the gutter, he, Batman could still chase her. There's no reason he can't grapple up the roof and, and chase her some more, but he decides to kind of let her go, and I think... He, I, I think he did that on purpose, so because he wanted to chase her again. He wanted to have another run, and he wanted that kind of, you know, adrenaline rush that that comes with meeting someone you are attracted to uh, over and over again, you know. Yes. And I mean, when she runs away and he's looking up at that building, remember he whistles. He's like, "Woo!" I can't whistle, so <laughs> I would, but that's basically what he. There you go. See there, he does that. And it's like, "Whoa, Batman!" He's he's got a. Little Batman's not so little anymore, you know? Um, he's definitely, you know, it, it shows. He's got a thing for Selena. Um, and I, I think that's a really strong opening for this episode. I think it was a great way to introduce uh, Catwoman. Um, not such a great way to introduce the overall plot of this two-part series with the terrorist organization and the plague they're trying to sp- uh, spread. Mm-hmm. But considering it's a two-part episode, I forgive them that because they had time to waste. Yes. You know, like when you look at um, the Underdwellers, which began with the sequence with the train for like no good reason, you, yeah. you know, you kind of have to go, wait a minute, why'd they do that? You know, well, obviously yes. it's just filler. Filler. But here, they have some time that they can, you know, they can spread things out. You know, they, they have to introduce this character, and this was the best way to do it, in my mind. Um, you know, and then, you know, the way she and Bruce meet. The date auction. Yeah, I thought, you know, that was another great way to introduce her into Bruce Wayne's world because it shows that she's got money. It was kind of weird because you you see that uh, Batman just met more or less met Catwoman the night before, and then he and he's taken back by her, and then he meets Selina Kyle and he's taken again. It's so you it's one you wonder how he can just all of a sudden meet two women that are just that stunning in within a span of about twelve hours. So you think he might. Maybe subconsciously he knew it from the beginning. Yeah, I, I definitely suspect it, and he didn't want to see it because he didn't want to arrest Selena. 
a quote-unquote arrest, because Batman obviously can't arrest anybody. But uh, <laughs> Citizens arrest. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think subconsciously he knew it, and he was just ignoring it, because he didn't want to bring Selina in for the crimes of her persona. Because so, it takes him a long time to figure it out. Yeah, Normally Batman would have figured that shit out right away, and he only yeah. figures it out by accident, because of what something Alfred says. Yeah, hair. Yeah. That's why he. That's how he finds out. Hmm, that, that's a strange hair. Hmm, that's a cat hair. You know, that, yeah, Batman knew, and he was denying it until he absolutely had to face it head on. But it's nice to see him have a weakness like that for once. Right, yeah. It shows he's human. Yeah. All too often, and this is my gripe with the way Batman's portrayed in the comic books, is all too often he's protected. DC, you know... They, they, they put him over like mad. I'm sorry. I know this is going to start a debate online. Batman can't beat Superman. Batman can't beat Wonder Woman. Batman can't beat even the Martian Manhunter, okay? He is a human, and these people could just completely obliterate them if they wanted to. But DC lets him get away with just destroying these superpowered beings all the time because they have to protect him and they have to protect the franchise. But this episode right here shows that he's a human and he's completely fallible. And when he falls in love, he's blind to the bad side of of, of someone that he's in love with. I mean, I'm not wording that as uh, you know eloquently as I would like. You know, I'm not <laughs> I'm not the penguin here. But you understand what I'm saying there. You know, when you first get yes. into a relationship, when you first, you know, fall in love with someone, you see their good side. You see none of their flaws. And that's what happens to Batman here. That's what I was trying to say. Mm, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> High five. Thank you. <laughs> um, one thing I really do like about their relationship is that even though, you know, he, he, he loves her and whatnot, like we said, he, he has to bring her in, that being Catwoman. And... You know, he wants to do it himself. He doesn't want the police to do it. He, he doesn't want her brought in like a common criminal. Yeah, and the, fir- the dignity. Right. And the first time he catches her, man, he just dives in and tries to rip that mask off. He's like, he's like, no, I want to be the one to bring you in. But he starts like yanking off her mask. It, it seemed awkward to me. You know, like I said, on one hand, I appreciate that he wants to be the one that brings her in. But it, it, it is awkward that he just really was like, it felt a little weird, almost like he was like molesting her. It's like taking off a bra. You don't just walk up to a woman and take off her bra, and you don't walk up to some superhero and just rip off her mask. And that's what he was doing. Come well, on, yeah, not. you don't do that. You know. Well, in the uh, Justice League cartoon, when the medic in the first it was the first episode of Justice League, the, when the medic is about to remove his mask, he grabs her wrist and says, "Don't even think about yeah. it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So exactly, you see how Batman feels about his mask being pulled off, but he tried doing it to uh, Catwoman here, so. Yeah. But whatever. Maybe hmm. maybe you could just chalk it up to, uh, like I said, him wanting to see the woman he had fallen in love with or him trying to prove to himself that it, that it was Selena or something. Who knows what he was trying to do there. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. And then, of course, we haven't really mentioned it too much, is uh, Red Claw is introduced throughout this whole thing, the, the, the terrorist group. What did you think about how they were handled? Hmm. How they were being, how they were, you know, using... Um, that uh, uh, what was that guy's name? The uh, the CEO guy. Yeah, how they were using him as a front to get that land. What, what did was you think about Stern? all that? It might Stern, have been. the guy's name. It might have been. Yeah. What, what did you think about all that? I don't know. I I liked kind of how they did a parallel with uh, you know Batman saying, "Oh well, I I've learned lately to not underestimate women." Mm. So. So they kind of paralleled that with the evil woman and the anti-hero woman. Yeah. Because I won't, you know, you can't call Catwoman a hero. Right. 
But, uh, yeah, I kind of like that. But I don't know about the the uh, terrorist group, how they were introduced. It, I don't know, it just didn't mesh with the Catwoman storyline. It seemed like two stories going on in one, but they weren't well meshed. Mm-hmm. It, once again, I can't think of what I want to say here. Well, could it be... But I know, I know what I want to say, but I can't. Could it be that because this was a two-part episode, like we said earlier, they had their time to actually bring them together? They knew they didn't have to mesh them right away? Or did you feel it didn't even mesh once we hit the second episode? No, I mean, at all. At all. Okay, I thought you meant just in the first part. It didn't mesh well enough no, for you. No, no. Like, the, the whole storyline with the virus and everything, mm-hmm. just... I don't know. That should not fit. That's not a Catwoman storyline to me. So I didn't really honestly like that at all. But I did like the paralleling with the uh, Red Claw being a woman. That was that was okay. I, I didn't have a problem with that. Yeah, it made sense for her to be a woman uh, be, yeah. because of what was going on with that episode, what, you know, Batman had said. It just it just all made sense. Yeah, and if it weren't for that, I think I would, I would dislike this episode uh, a lot. Mm just because of that. Yeah. But they, because of that, that's like the only link there is between those two uh, storylines. Yeah. In fact, it would have been cliched had uh, Red Claw been a man. The storyline, I mean, would have been cliched. It's like, oh, look, a terrorist organization. Ooh. Big deal. But because a woman's leading a terrorist organization? Hello? And she's, the, yeah. and she's the worst in the world. Right, exactly. It's like, you know, that, 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 that says something. But I have to wonder, if she has, like, as she put it, brought nations to their knees, how is it that no one knows that Red Claw's a woman? Everybody's surprised that it's a woman. I mean, even Jim Gordon refers to Red Claw as a yeah, we, he. We never heard anything about the guy. Right, exactly. <laughs> if, if she's so bad, uh, wouldn't there be knowledge of her femininity? You know? <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Oh, you know what? I have something in my notes here that Batman does actually punch a human in this episode. So I guess yes. I'm wrong. I thought it waited until I thought we waited until see no evil where he started punching people, but I guess I'm wrong. But hey, you know what? Batman's punching a terrorist, so... <laughs> yeah, it works. <laughs> During the uh, Bachelor auction, when Bruce Wayne is walking from the crowd to the stage before he gets auctioned off, everybody in the crowd except ba- Bruce Wayne is blue. And that's very much uh, akin to what they would do in Batman Beyond. Where if Terry and his girlfriend, whose name I forget right now, were at Dana. A, what was that? Dana? Dana. Okay, we're at a club. Like, everybody in the crowd would, like, be orange, and Terry and her would be, like, purple, or vice versa. Yeah. You know, and... The, ne- the neon color would be different. Right, just for those characters, just for those two. And it, it's, it was kind of cool to see that here, that they started that tradition here, where everybody in the crowd is just one color except the people they wanted you to see. And every time uh, a woman would come up and introduce herself to Bruce, she was no longer blue. She became, uh, you know... She had her own palette. Yeah. You know, so I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, we want you to pay attention to this woman now, so she's not going to be blue. Now there's this woman, and she's not going to be blue. Oh, I totally marked out in the second episode for the bat phone. Commissioner Gordon pulls a phone from out his of the desk drawer, yes. That is just a direct, it's a direct line to Batman. I was like, I forgot about that. I completely forgot about that. And it starts ringing, and I'm like, oh, my God, does he have a bat phone? And he pulls the key out because he's on the phone. He's on his other line, and the other phone starts ringing. And he starts going in his pocket. And for a second, I thought he was playing pocket pool. And then he pulls a key out, and I'm like, oh, my God, he's got a bat phone. And he pulls it out, and I totally marked out for the bat phone. 
Yeah, and it, especially because the guy he was talking to was a general yeah. in the military. <laughs> and that's not something you just hang up yeah. on. But he's like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to hang up on you, general, because I have the Batman on the other I'll nine. be in touch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and granted, it wasn't the red phone underneath the little domed glass. Or the Cadmus phone to the president, like in Justice League. <laughs> Still. But still, he's got a phone in his desk that's a direct line to Batman. That was such a cool little nod, I felt, to the old TV show. And I have mixed feelings about that TV show, but it was a cool nod to it, nonetheless. Yeah. And I felt that the animation in the second act of the second episode really took a hit. If, oh, yeah. If you listen... It was... I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. If you listen to some of the commentaries on these discs, you'll hear Bruce Tim and his directors and his writers and producers speak about how sometimes for the second act, they would have, uh, the, the animation studios would have like their B team uh, kind of handle animation duties. And, you know, you could see it. And this is clearly one of those times where that B team handled the second act. Because Selena's off model a couple of times. If you just look at her face. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of bothered me in it. Well, yeah, and when the when Red Claw and Catwoman are fighting, or well, when Red Claw's beating the crap out of Catwoman, mm-hmm. I should say the the it's really choppy and just disjointed. Yeah, and I thought there was some really cool juxtaposition between uh, Selena and Maven and Bruce and Alfred, because Selena comes in and she like drops her shoes on the floor. And Maven picks them up, and then she changes into Catwoman. And then the next scene, Bruce walks into the cave, he takes his cape off, hands it to Alfred, and he changes it, or no, he takes his coat off. Yeah, his overcoat. Right, hands it to Alfred, and then he becomes Batman. I'm like, that was really cool, because it shows you how each person um, views their servant, because Selina just leaves her shoes lying there for Maven to pick up. But Batman, Bruce, pardon me, actually hands his coat to Alfred. He doesn't just drop it. You know Selina respects Maven, but she just leaves her shoes there for the woman to pick up. So it shows you she doesn't respect her quite as much as Bruce respects Alfred. But that could boil down to the fact that, you know, Alfred is, for all intents and purposes, Bruce's foster father. Yeah. You know, so he's not just going to throw his coat on the floor and say, you pick that up, butler man. <laughs> but yeah, it's another nice parallel. Like, this episode, this two-parter is all about parallels, yeah. it seems. Do you have anything else in your notes you want to cover about this one? or? Well, just how Catwoman looked like the Catwoman from Batman Returns, which was not a bad thing at all, really. It was a nice little costume design. Yeah, I, I like how they went with... I'm not crazy about this costume that they gave her, but at the same time... I like how they went with this one over the one that was running around in the Batman comics at the day. Do you remember the the, the costume that Catwoman was wearing at the time? In the early 90s? In the comics, yeah. Not off the top of my head. She was wearing this purple one piece, and the Catwoman at the time was being drawn by oh. Jim Ballant, I think his name was. Is that the one that would show up in Marvel vs. DC? I think so. I believe I, I think so. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And that about, wasn't huh? a bad costume, but she was an extremely busty woman, and it was meant to show off her figure. And this one... You know, you can see her figure, but it downplays it, I think, because of the gray tones. You know, mm-hmm. she's meant to kind of blend into the shadows a little, not as much as Batman. So even though I'm not crazy about this costume, I'm, I am glad they, they went with this one over the one that was in the comics at the time. Because they could have over-sexualized Catwoman, and they chose not to. Um, and I thought there was a real hilarious line in this episode where uh, after Bruce and Selena, um, they've been chased by those crooks on the bridge. 
as they're going back into her apartment, I believe it is, uh, she says she says something to him. I don't remember what. And Bruce says, "It's not every day I get to fill out replete. I get to fill out police reports. reports." And that's hilarious. I mean, that is such a funny joke because hey, Batman isn't going to fill out police reports. He's just going to bust the criminals <laughs> and let the police do all the work. That is such a cool line, and I, I commend yeah. whoever wrote that line. Now, do you know who voiced Red Claw? Uh, that was Kate Mulgrew. Which is Captain Janeway from Star Trek. From Voyager. Star Trek. Now, do you know who played Maven? You don't have to know the actress's name, but who that actress is better known for playing? No. Lady J from G.I. Joe. Her <laughs> name's Mary McDonald Lewis. I'm listening to her just like I was Red Claw, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's Lady J. Me being like, I mean, I grew up watching G.I. Joe. That's my thing. That's G.I. Joe got me into comics. It got me into everything that is geeky. You know, it made me who I am today. And That's like me with the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> exactly. So I know all those voices. You know, I hear one of those voices, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's Flint, or that's Cobra Commander, or that's Destro. And when I heard this, I was like, that's Lady J. And sure enough, I looked it up, and it was Lady J. So. Do you have any more thoughts about this episode before we move on? Uh, I believe we're done. Next on our list would be Heart of Ice. Uh, if you've never seen this one, you are you you seriously missed out. If there's only one episode of Batman the Animated Series you ever see, I highly recommend it be this one. And that's because of the uh, emotional impact this one has. The gist of it is that uh, about, what, a year ago, a scientist by the name of Victor Freeze he was trying to save his dying wife. Uh, what she was dying of, they never say. But he was trying to uh, save her by cryogenically freezing her. Uh, and, uh, you know, down the line, when there was a cure for this disease, he could bring her back and, and she'd be able to live her life with him. But uh, the, the CEO of the corporation that uh, Victor Freeze worked for, was he was not having this. He saw it as wasted money. And as he tried to have Victor... Uh, his experiment shut down uh, and have Victor escorted from the building. An accident occurred, and Victor was covered in chemicals, and he became Mr. Freeze. And now, uh, all these months later, Victor is seeking revenge on his former boss slash colleague slash whatever you want to call him. His name was Boyle, correct? Yes. Nice little uh, Mr. Freeze and Boyle. Nice. <laughs> you know, he's, he's going after Boyle, trying to bring down Boyle's corporation. You know, Freeze lost his wife, the only thing he loved, and he wants to make Boyle lose everything he loves, and that's his corporation and his money. And, and eventually his life. And his, yeah, of course, eventually his life, too. And, of course, <laughs> Batman gets involved, and, you know, punching and kicking ensues from there. So w- why don't you speak about this one, James? Well, it didn't win in... Emmy for Outstanding Animation for nothing. Did this one win an Emmy? I didn't know that. Yes, it nice. did. Nice, very nice. For Outstanding Animation. Mm-hmm. And, boy, did it deserve yes, it. Yes, it does. It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, one of the most epic scenes you can ever remember from this entire series was Freeze riding up the fire hydrant yes. with the Freeze gun. Yes. That was shown on every commercial for Batman the Animated Series. I remember back then mm-hmm. when they would show commercials. That would be on every single commercial. Yeah, I don't know who came up with that, but whoever did, man, they are a genius. Because that, that is just so cool. It's such an iconic image. And Mr. Freeze, like I said, with Two-Face, is argue, one of those two, arguably the most tragic villains in the DC, in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. So... And they pulled it off 
perfectly, or damn near perfectly in this episode. Because you see, you know, I'm not sure how the, I guess the cold, you know, it's obviously a metaphor for everything he does, but, and I'm not sure how that uh, is supposed to have affected his mind to where he has no more feelings, because, and he keeps saying he has no feelings, but clearly he does. Oh, yeah. Because he cries at the end of the episode. Yeah, he's pining over his wife in the beginning. He cries at the end. Vengeance is just a form of anger. You know, he's just saying he doesn't have emotions. He, yeah. he's, he clearly does, though. But you clearly empathize with him because, I mean, this guy kicked him into a bunch of chemicals yeah. and has ruined his life. Yeah. So. In fact, I would dare say... If there was one time Batman would look the other way, it would have been this time with Freeze going after Boyle. Had Freeze not admitted to the fact that he was going to kill everybody in the building to get to Boyle. Because Freeze says something. Freeze is spouting off when he's got Batman captured. And I think he's got Batman captured at the time. And Batman says, even if it means killing everybody in the building. And Freeze says, yes, even if that's what it means. And I think that was I think that was Batman testing Freeze to to see what he was going to do. And I think had he said no, he was just going to go after Boyle. I'm sure Batman would have you know gone after him, but maybe not as hard because innocent people yeah. were going to die. Boyle deserved everything that happens to him. But as I said earlier, Batman can't bend the rules, so he has to save even even a schmuck like Boyle. Could he? Could Batman have picked a worse word to say to Victor? than freeze when he was trying to stop him. I mean, could he have picked a worse word? Yeah, that was that was definitely a little corny. But yeah, oh, and also, uh, did you notice that Batman says, my God? Yes. Yes, mm. I think that's the first time they've used that in this show, right? It's first or second. Didn't we have an episode in the first, in our first episode where, they, where he said that? I think that? he said about Man Bat, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay, that's true. But, so it's the second time, but still, few and far between. Yeah, um, the, the, the time that always sticks out in my mind comes from New Adventures, Gotham Knights, whatever you want to call it, when Freeze, again, Mr. Freeze episodes, comes walking around the corner, and it's only his head on the spider legs. And yes. Batgirl says, oh, my God. That's what everybody is thinking at that moment. And I, that's that's why that one kind of stuck with me. But, yeah, them saying, oh, my God, is very few and far between. And Mark Hamill did the voice of Boyle. Yes, he did. Let's see. What else stuck out in my mind besides the fact that it's just an overall godly episode? Yeah. Um, mm. I'm looking at my notes here, and, you know, they're just all gushing. <laughs> I'm trying to see yeah. if I could find anything where I could, where, you know, any negatives. And I just I just don't think I can. Um even the, you know, at one point where Batman's emblem becomes reversed, I think it's, impo- uh, it's, it's instead of being black on yellow, it's yellow on black. There, there's a slight mistake in this episode where that happens. Hmm. The only reason I won't mark that against this episode is because Bruce Timm has flat out said that he purposely left that in there to pay homage to previous Batman cartoons. Because there were times in previous ones, I think filmation ones, where they would screw up like that. So when he had the opportunity to correct it in this episode, he said, no, let's leave it to pay homage to those shows. So because the, mm-hmm. the director slash producer of this episode said, we're going to leave that in there, I have no problem with it. When the episode begins, those, you know, he's, he's, he's spouting that monologue. And then all of a sudden, he just, we just see his like red goggled eyes just out of nowhere. And it just, it kind of sets the tone for the whole episode, the monologue and the eyes, because 
you know, and you got his voice too. You have to throw that in there. You know, it's his very monotone voice, and then you've got these cold red eyes. Even though red would normally be hot, they feel cold and empty. So the voice with the the, the monologue and and the eyes, you just understand that that this episode is going to be something different. It's going to be emotional. It's going to hit you right where your heart is. And oh yeah, and it's going to be it's going to be sad the whole the whole way through. It, it's you're gonna. You might want to shed a tear. Yeah. Because as much as, you know, Freeze, there's some kind of, like, Magneto. He's like the, another one of those villains you can you can see their point of view. Right. Well, it depends on who's writing him, because there's times where, if you look at early Magneto appearances, he doesn't have that background that we yeah. know now. But, but as he goes but as, along. Right, as they flesh them out, you're like, now, wait a minute. Magneto could be right. You know, and that's the same thing with Victor Freeze here, is... He has every right in the world to want to kill Ferris Boyle. And yes. The, again, I, you know, I really think Batman only gets involved because Freeze is going to take down everybody in the building to get to Boyle. So, yeah, Mr. Freeze was right in this case, but Batman had to stop him nonetheless. Well, yeah, I mean, at the very, or well, almost the very end, right before you, the Arkham scene, where, where he's sitting in the, in the prison cell, uh, he's, he just walks right by Boyle, who's still half-frozen, and says, Okay, or he said, what does he say? Something humanitarian? Oh. Just, just coldly calls him a humanitarian. Yeah, like, something, yeah, because he just won that Humanitarian of the Year award, right? Yeah. yeah. Something like, uh, enjoy your award, humanitarian, or shit, I forget what it is, but yeah, even Batman's like, you fucking schmuck. Even Batman's yeah. just laying into the guy. <laughs> you know, the animators... The storyboarders, whoever, they just turned it up a notch. Yeah. They just went above and beyond. And like I had said uh, when we were looking at Two-Face, I believe whoever storyboarded Two-Face, uh, the part one of Two-Face, must have storyboarded this one because there's a lot of times where Batman looks the same in both those episodes. And there's other times where he doesn't look like he does in these episodes. And whoever that was or whatever animation team they used to, to draw this Batman... It just worked with the episode, and again, I've said it a couple times in this episode, major, major, major props to whoever did that. You know? yep. and the fact well, They got awarded for yeah, it. Yeah, and the fact that the animation team, on their own, decided to put that frost on Freeze's uh, helmet. If you listen to the commentary on this episode, uh, Bruce Timm says that the animators are the one who put the frost on Freeze's uh, helmet, not him. They didn't ask for it. The animators saw how special this episode was going to be, and they even stepped it up and added nice little touches to make sure this episode r- remained yeah, it gives memorable. It more, yeah, it gives it more of a three-dimensional look. Right, and what's cool about that frost on the, on the helmet is that, if you notice, at the end of the episode, when Freeze touches the snow globe, he touches it with his bare hand, he touches the glass, it frosts over like his helmet. Now, he touches it in the beginning of the episode, but he's got his glove on at the time. But when his cold skin, his cold bare skin, actually touches the snow globe, it freezes just like his helmet. And I thought that was a really nice touch that, you know, his helmet and the and the globe, the one thing he cherishes in all the world, ended up looking the same by the end. Uh, Heart of Ice was so popular with the, the fans that uh, Mr. Freeze's comic book counterpart uh, was retconned to more closely resemble this origin from this episode. Mm-hmm. So I thought there's another another reason this episode is just so legendary. 
Yeah, thanks to Batman the Animated Series, the comic changed so much. We got Renee Montoya. Um, Harvey Bullock became a stronger character. Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn became a character. We, as you just said, Mr. Freeze got a brand new origin. In fact, I'm not even sure what his origin was before this, if he even had one. Um, So I don't know if they retconned it or if they just all of a sudden said, oh, this is the origin we never told you, you know, or if they went back and changed what was there. I don't know. Um, But, yeah, this cartoon influenced the comic in so many ways and in so many good ways. That's impressive to to me, that that the the people in charge of the comics, that DC Comics, looked at this show and said, okay, these guys are doing it right. Let's follow them. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it's a shame that it took DC years to put these guys on top of the comics. Like Paul Dini just just now is writing Detective. He should have been writing Detective years ago. Yep. I mean, you know, granted there was a tie-in comic to the Batman cartoon, and I, the guys did work on it. Tim Dini and that whole crew they did work on that comic, but they should have been on the 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 main the core comic books because they were just hitting it on on. Every on every level, they were they were getting what Batman was about. And so yeah, it's great that they're on the books now, but it, it's a shame that it took so damn long. And you know, one thing I wish they had done at the very end was have uh, have Freeze's tears freeze, like turn into frost or something. See, now if you listen to the commentary, Bruce Tim says that he uh, that was his intention, and he says. He didn't think that it came across, and that's what I always thought. Even when I first saw this episode as a kid, I really thought that because Free started crying, that's why it started snowing in his room, in his prison cell. So, in at least in my mind, I like to think that his tears did turn into those snowflakes. That that he started crying so much that he was getting so cold that it, it made the room colder and it made it snow. I don't know. It works for me. I just make it work in my own mind, man. <laughs> maybe people, maybe other people saw it another way. I don't know. That's the way I saw it, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. But yeah, if it could have been a little more obvious, or maybe uh, they were freezing as they were coming right down his cheeks, maybe that would have worked better. But I get what they were going for with the with the snow at the end. I will also. I'd like to say the very last scene where you see Batman walking away, looking at the mm-hmm. looking at the cell. Uh, was one of the best ones they had done to that point. Why do you think that? Just walking away. It seemed... The cape... Maybe there was something about the cape that just seemed more... uh, more well-animated, more graphic, like fluttering from one side to one side and walking off into the darkness. But that was... I guess that goes along with the whole episode's animation being so damn good. Um, A couple of... Just quick little notes or questions I have here. Okay, Ferris Boyle was played by Mark Hamill, as you noted earlier. Now, when Bruce Wayne is in his office, do you remember that Boyle, you know, uh, his secretary chimes in on the conference line? Mm-hmm. Did you listen to that secretary's voice? Not closely, no. Rewatch that. It's an, I believe 100% that it's an uncredited role by the voice actress who portrays Harley Quinn. I was watching this with Jenny. And she even she goes, wait, was that Harley? Before I even said, it, I thought it was Harley. And I'm 99% sure that, who, do you know the woman who voices Harley Quinn? I can't remember her name. You know, I, sh- I, th- I know her name, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay, let me see if I can find it real quick here. Arlene Sorkin, that's her name? Does that sound right to yes, you? Yes, that's it. Okay, now, 
like I said, if if she did play the secretary in this episode, she's uncredited. But I thought it's interesting that if it was Arlene, that she was playing subordinate to Boyle, who is voiced <laughs> by Hamill, yeah. who would be the Joker. I thought that was a nice little. It's a nice little geeky moment. That's all it is. Yeah, you know? it is. People like only people like us would notice that. <laughs> exactly. Um, I like the constant use of the the before Batman. Not just in this episode, but in a lot of these episodes. People don't refer to him as Batman. It's the Batman. Because he's still an urban legend in most people's eyes. Exactly. Even though more people have seen him than I think should see him. I have my personal ideas about Batman, the way Batman stories should be told, and the way Batman should be presented and all that. And We won't get into that. But still, even though a lot of people have seen him, he is still an urban legend at this point. So adding the the before it adds to that, adds to that mystique. You know, it, it's less personal. Yes. Easily the funniest moment in this entire episode, because this episode isn't a funny episode, is the valet saying keys to Mr. Freeze while he's standing on his car, on that giant tank thing or whatever it is he had. You know, that is that line is just pure genius. Yep. And again, getting back to the animation, another nice little touch is that when Mr. Freeze is holding Batman up, after Batman, okay, Batman smashes him with the uh, the chicken soup, and when Batman uh, uh, kicks off of him and does a backflip, there's a nice little touch where Batman grabs the sides of his cape and tucks it around his backside as he does his flip, so it doesn't get in his way as he's following through on his flip before he lands. Right. And... Again, just a nice little touch to show that the animators knew how to how a cape would actually flow if you were going to do a flip like that, and that it would get in your way. And that Batman probably wouldn't have been able to make a flip like that if he didn't grab it and take control of it. Yeah. Um, they actually do kind of address that in the comics when uh, Jean-Paul Valley took over as Batman, when Batman had his back broken by Bane. One of the reasons Jean-Paul changed the outfit is because whenever he would wear the traditional Batman outfit, the cape would always get in his way because he wasn't used to it. So they addressed it in the comics, and it was nice to see them very subtly address it in the cartoon as well, by saying, look, every now and then Batman does have to grab it to keep control of it. Again, just the animators or the storyboardists or whoever going above and beyond for this episode. It was like everybody, every step of the way, knew that this was going to be something special, and they did their best to make sure that it reached that, that gold ring that they knew was right in front of them. Yes, Oh, there's a bit of continuity in this episode. Did you notice it? About what? Remember in Pretty Poison, Pamela Isley has that, uh, she has that clipping of Bruce Wayne and Harvey Dent at the groundbreaking for Blackgate? When Batman is researching who Mr. Freeze is, as he's, going, as he's sitting at the Bat computer and he's going through the archives of newspapers, that passes by. It's a nice little nod at continuity because years later continuity would become very important to this universe because up till now each one of these is just like its own little element you know whatever happened in the one before doesn't come up again yeah but this clearly references itself and that's the first time it's happened and i think that was very important to the series overall again we talk about how we're going to look at how the show and the universe evolved as a whole Mm -hmm. as we go along Mm -hmm. and this was the first sign of them using continuity to their i don't want to say to their advantage but just to point point to it and say, see, see, there is a timeline here. We know what we're doing. Just these characters are building, they're aging, they're developing. Trust us. Just just follow <laughs> follow through with us and you'll see these characters grow from the first episode to the last. And boy did they do it.
Okay. Our final episode to review today is See No Evil. Um, in this episode, uh, there's a little girl named Kimberly who seems to have an imaginary uh, friend named Mojo. Now, uh, however, even though uh, it seems like it's just imaginary, this is actually a very real person who is just ha- who has an invisibility suit and use it to steal jewelry and money from uh, people all over Gotham. And his, but his uh, underlying motive is to be reunited with his daughter, who dun 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 happens to be little Kimberly. So that's about it. I would say. Um, right away when I look at this guy, I think child molester. Oh, absolutely. The guy is a child absolutely. molester, and it they that's another thing. You know, if you're a kid, you're not going to pick up on that. But uh-huh. get, you know, people like us, we're older, and we can see this guy shows every single sign. Yeah. yeah. He's a creep through and through, and you can read it on his face. Yeah, and Batman. When he f- when he gets a hold of him at the end of the episode, he beats the unholy shit out of the guy. Yeah, this isn't like you know the first episode where Batman's beating up on a monster. This is a normal everyday guy that Batman, you know, he pretty much murders the guy. Yes, he does. If, you know, he he he's put this guy in a coma in my mind. You know, this guy's laying in the hospital somewhere with an IV in his arm for the rest of his life no matter how long or short that may be, thanks to the beating Batman gave him. Mm-hmm. And that very much shows that Batman knew what was going on with him and that little girl. Again, as you said, kids aren't going to pick up on that, but now that we're adults and we're looking back, oh yeah, that is clearly what's going on here. And uh, along those same lines, you know, this episode is just wrong on so many levels. And when I say wrong, I mean that in a good way. If 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 I if that makes any sort of sense. No, it does because um, it's another one of those episodes where they hey look they're taking a huge risk, mm-hmm. it's, and it's like a Law and Order Special Victims Unit episode. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's it's that kind of element. Yeah. So, but what were you gonna say? No, I was just gonna say that you know how in uh, Two Face. Heart of Ice, and even to, and even in It's Never Too Late, they build up the villains so that you feel sympathetic for them. Mm-hmm. And then there's other episodes where there's villains, and oh, they're just villains, and you just accept that they're villains, and they didn't take much time giving them character. In See No Evil, they took a lot of effort to make you hate the father, and I cannot remember his name right now. It's, um... Yeah. Let's see. Is it? Lloyd? Uh, Lloyd Ventrix? Was yes, that it? that's it. Okay, yeah. They took a lot of time to just make you hate this guy. They didn't make him just... Granted, we never see him again. Because, remember, he's in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> he has you know, to be after the beating he exactly. gets. <laughs> they, they, they took a lot of time to make you hate Lloyd for all the right reasons. You don't hate him because he's robbing uh, people of their jewelry. You hate him because he, he's trying to kidnap his daughter. There's a molestation subtext going on. I was going to say, you can tell... Uh, because of the inflection that her mother, when she sees him, it's hate, automatic, right, just right, right off the bat, hate. It wasn't so much, oh, I married a loser who ended up in jail, because what, this guy knocked off corner stores yeah, or something, just, right? I think that's what was said. Right, it wasn't that kind of hate, like, oh, you left me with a kid. No, this was, you really, really, really did something wrong to make me hate you kind of hate. 
That's what was going on here. And you're right, you see it in the mother when she first comes in contact with him. Oh, I was going to say it's the first uh, episode with Lucius Fox. Yes, it is. That, that That's true. I did note that. Um, who would become a big part of the Batman the Animated Series universe and the movie, and, of course. And the comic Batman, books. Uh, I don't know much about Lucius. I, I have a feeling he was hanging around in the background before the show, but then they probably used him more and more because of how much the show was using him. Mm-hmm. And he's um, one of those characters where he may know who Bruce Wayne really is or he may not. You don't really know. It's like Gordon, and that's what I like about his character. Because he's, he's, he's a very intelligent character, and they don't really get into that all that much in the series, but in the comic books, definitely. Yeah, and then, of course, in Batman Begins. Yes. That's, I mean, he clearly knows what's going uh-huh. on. I mean, I think at one point, doesn't he even use the phrase plausible deniability? I think at one point he flat out says he knows who Bruce is, but he says something about plausible deniability. Maybe I'm wrong he, about he that. He says... Um, I'm trying to remember. It says, I just want to know because it's because if somebody comes along, I don't have to lie. Or, right, yeah. But don't yeah, okay, but yeah. don't think I'm an idiot. You're right, right, that's it, yeah. You know, I'm trying to I'm looking at my notes here, seeing if I had any big gripes with this episode. And the gripes I had were kind of nitpicky. Like, you know, Mojo gives Kimmy that locket. And the mother never questions where she gets it. Yeah, just, I don't know. I guess she just didn't see it. It's plain as day on her neck. The thing is huge. <laughs> it's almost as big as the little girl's head. Yeah. It's, it's not a tiny little locket. It's a big thing, you know. And she's this clearly isn't the first time that, quote-unquote, Mojo has brought her jewelry. Yeah, because, Where is this little girl hiding? Yeah, because the mother know? knows about Mojo, quote-unquote. Right, and she thinks he's made up, but this girl's, you know, going to have jewelry lying around her drawers in her room. The mother's got to be wondering where she's getting it, and they don't address that, and that did kind of bother me. There was a, a couple other things that bothered me, like, but this one I can justify. During the final fight, Batman lets Kimmy just run off. That's true. And, and, they're, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. The only reason I can justify this one is because with almost any other villain, you know if you let them go, you'll be able to find them again with relative ease. Well, this is an invisible man. There is no relative ease so when slowly finding going him. more and more psychotic from the suit. It's one of those things where I cringed, and I was like, Batman just let this girl run from the middle of nowhere to home, hoping she'll find her way home. But at the same time, what was he going to do? He's not going to be able to catch this guy again. He had to take advantage of that, that moment. So it's a moment where I'm on the fence. It's like, do I mark it against the show, or do I live with my justification of it? Yes, it's one of those ones where you just have to let it go. <laughs> One of my favorite moments of this episode, the sandwich-eating construction worker. <laughs> when Batman bursts into that... You know, he, screaming. He, yeah, he, he bursts into that construction area, and he's like, I know you're out there! Show yourself! And the construction worker just silently sits there with the sandwich in his mouth, looks to the left and to the right, <laughs> like Batman's like some crazy yeah, lunatic. And he never moves his head. It's just the eyes. <laughs> no, it's just the eyes. And then, of course, when the... Uh, uh, that one tool goes flying through the air at Batman, and he finally realizes someone else is in the room. He just drops the sandwich and books out of there like a bat out of hell. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a very cartoony moment, and it does... Earlier, we were talking about how you can do a lighthearted episode and uh, make it work. This is one of those times where you take a lighthearted moment and you inject it into a rather dark episode, and it works. It doesn't really feel out of place in here, because it kind of gives you a breath. It gives you a, a moment just to take a breather before things get really dark and depressing with this episode. Yeah. I think that's all I have to say about that one. 
Yeah, me too. Honestly. Oh no, no, I do have I, I do have one more thing. Pardon me, pardon me for interrupting you there. Go ahead. Is okay when uh, what did we say the the father's name was? I lost Lloyd it. Ventrix. When Lloyd is trying to get Kimmy the pearl necklace, and he's going through the jewelry show, I have to wonder why. And okay, now granted, he is losing his mind because of the the toxicity of the outfit he's wearing. Okay, but I have to wonder why an invisible man would make such a public ruckus. He's going through knocking people over and, and doing all these things. He's an invisible man. He doesn't have to make a scene. No. And that 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 does bother me, and that is something that makes me kind of take a point away from this episode. Yeah, it's kind of nonsensical. Yeah, it's like he had to make a ruckus, only so Bruce Wayne, who just happened to be there, could, quote-unquote, see him making this ruckus so he could change into Batman so they could so the episode could progress from there. That really does bother me. I understand why they did it, but it bothers me. But besides that, I, I, this is such an excellent episode on, on so many levels. Because you can enjoy it as a kid, but, you know, as you said earlier, when you grow up and you see it as an adult, there's this whole other layer. And it is blatant. Absolutely. So uh, I think that's it for this one, right? I believe so. Okay, let's go back and do our scores uh, for It's Never Too Late. Initially... I gave this one a 7, but as we were talking, I bumped it up to an 8. How about you? I actually gave it a 7, and I'm sticking with that one. After It's Never Too Late would be I Got Batman in My Basement. I gave that piece of garbage a 3. I gave it a 4. Okay, okay. Hey, we weren't so different on that one then. <laughs> and you want to know it? As we were talking, I actually marked that one down a point. I initially had that one at a 4. <laughs> okay, so the next one would be Cat in the Claw, correct? Yes. I gave that one a 7.5. I gave this one an 8. Heart of Ice? Uh, well, geez, I, as much as it's weird to give it a, a 10, I'm going to give it a 10. I'm going to give this one a 9, um, only because... It's hard to, see, I know, that's the thing, I'm, it's hard to give a perfect score, but damn right. it, that is about as close to perfection as it gets. Right, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I could probably give this one a 9.5, but I'm going to stick with a 9, um... Yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna, and I'm telling you, down the line, you know, maybe we'll review some of these scores and change things for the, for the better or worse. This may be one where I come up to a ten. It really may be, but for now, I'm gonna stick with a nine. And then after Heart of Ice, that would be See No Evil, right? Yep. Okay, so I give this one an eight. I did too. I wish there were another way for me to say it, but I cannot. I can only beg your forgiveness and pray you hear me somehow, some place, some place where a warm hand waits for mine. and mp3s can be sent to worldsfinestpodcast at gmail.com that's worldsfinestpodcast at gmail.com and don't forget to visit our forums which can be found at worldsfinestpodcast.com next time on World's Finest Podcast we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman the Animated Series those being Beware the Grey Ghost <laughs> <laughs> Prophecy Sick of Doom Freudian slip taken out yeah. 
<laughs> Prophecy of Doom, Feet of Clay, Joker's Favor, and Vendetta. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.